morning, everybody. It's Jeff Goldberg for the Sales Pro Network. It is Friday, let's see, September 8th. Woo, it's after Labor Day. Oh boy, I think you know what that means. It's time to get pretty serious because the end of the year is in sight. We're not quite in Q4, but we're getting there. So it's time to buckle down and make sure that you do everything you possibly can to hit or exceed your quota for this year and set up next year for great success. By the way, I'm doing an incredibly great webinar, a free webinar on Monday, September 11th with my dear friend, Beth Granger, who is a LinkedIn expert. This is a free webinar. If you're interested in attending, uh, just DM me or put your uh, name in the comments and I'll uh, send you the link after the show. Uh, if you've been here before, you know that I've, I'm a sales coach and trainer. I work with individuals and organizations internationally to help them achieve measurable and sustainable sales increases. And I founded the Sales Pro Network, I believe three years ago now, to elevate the profession of sales, to give salespeople a place to hang out, to be the premier spot on the internet for salespeople to learn, earn, network, and excel. And every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern, almost every Friday, we either do a live training or almost always a live interview with somebody who can add value to the profession of sales. Our guest today hasn't shown up yet, so we don't know if he's gonna be here or not. I do have a quick uh, presentation for you if uh, he doesn't show up, but I hope he does, because uh, he's a very uh, cool guy, and I think we'll all learn a lot from him. Oh, he just came in. So uh, I'll finish uh, this introduction, then I'll bring our guest on. Um, if you're watching us live, please say hello in the comments. If you're watching us live on Facebook, but have not yet connected your account to StreamYard, then it'll just say Facebook user. I won't know your name, so please include your name. If you're watching us on the replay, please be sure to put replay in the comments. And finally, if you, uh, I forgot what finally is. Oh, if you have any questions for our, our guest, please do put them in the comments too, and I'll pass them along as we're speaking. And good morning, Bruce Gasserman of BGK Financial. Good to see you here as always, my friend. And now it's my pleasure to introduce you to a mindset coach for salespeople. Please meet Coach Umar Hamid. Good morning, Umar. Hey, Jeff. Thanks so much for having me on the show. Today, I'm in Vegas at a conference. So this is a Vegas hotel room. All the dancing girls have left so we can have a conversation. Is this the Sales 3.0 conference? That's the one. I saw some of your posts. You're excited to, be, uh, to hear uh, Gerhardt. Yeah, he's a, can you believe he's 80? He's like a freaking juggernaut. He's been doing this a long, long time. A long and doing it time. well. Absolutely. Brilliant. So let's talk mindset. Well, let's get there. Yeah, but before we do that, could you maybe give us a couple of minutes of your background, what brought you up to this point? And then we're definitely going to talk mindset. Good morning, Rob. Sure. Sure. Uh, I used to be in Silicon Valley. I used to be, uh, this is my claim to fame, the world's worst programmer. And so I was in IT, worked my way up into sales and marketing, started consulting for companies in Europe, in Asia, in the US, launching them into the US market. And I noticed uh, one thing that was frustrating for everyone all around the world, that they would have an employee who they could clearly see could be a rock star, and they just weren't achieving it. And the question is, why not they want to achieve? We're investing in coaching, in workshops, in trainings, and they're not achieving it. And the question is, why is that happening? And so I decided to uh, dedicate, my, dedicate my life to figure out how to solve that issue. So in 2003, I sold my house on the West Coast, got a chunk of change that gave me a long runway to really get good at how human beings work. And so I started, uh, became a really good hypnotist, uh, started the Baltimore Washington Institute of Neurolinguistic Programming, went deeply into applied neuroscience. And after two, three years, started getting really good at understanding what drives behavior, what blocks us, 
and that we have a better version of ourselves within us and how do we get it out? Well, is that all? And that's <laughs> it. And, and then I was three. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Maybe we have to talk offline because uh, I've been struggling recently uh, with losing weight. I've done it before. I know how to do it. I, I believe I'm a disciplined person, but I'm, I'm just not finding the commitment. So I, I've been considering hypnosis. We might have to talk about that at some point. But uh, let's not focus on me today. Um, one of the things that you say is that 80% of realtors, and I'm going to assume that that also applies to salespeople, uh, are, are, are stopped from reaching their full potential by fear. Yeah. Is that only true for realtors? And no, no, for everybody. So, so what uh, is the fear that we have that's stopping us from our success? So it's different for different people. Uh, let's go back to the weight loss thing, and I'll come back to this because I think I'll tie in together. Sure. So uh, I had a business coaching client come in. And one day she's looking kind of disturbed. I say, what's going on? She goes, Umar, I've been trying to lose weight for a really long time and it's just not happening and it's so frustrating. I said, okay, well, tell me about a particular time where you were beating yourself up about it. Because it happens all the time. But this Sunday, you know, where we, we came home from church and I was uh, in my basement office and uh, I was thinking, what the hell is wrong with me? I said, okay, in your mind's eye, go back to that moment being in the basement, see what you saw, you know, see the big screen TV, whatever was happening there. She goes, okay, I'm doing it. Hear whatever you heard, your inner thoughts about how, what a horrible person you are, music in the background, everything here at Natch goes, okay, when you do those two things, you get to re-experience what you were feeling in your body. What were you feeling? And she goes, that's weird. I was feeling a really uncomfortable feeling right here in the center, just below my chest. I said, great. And there's a tool from neuroscience you can use to connect this feeling to the unconscious mind that records everything. And as soon as we linked it in, because had I asked her, have you felt this before? She would have gone, uh. but with this tool, she went back to a pivotal moment. Her husband, who she loves more than anything else in the world, uh, was really ill. They went to Boston from Baltimore. They're in the hospital. The surgeon comes in the night before the surgery and says, you know, the surgery is going to go great. But just be prepared, you're going to lose 60 pounds of weight due to the surgery. Now, it'll take you a while to come back. And she thought, not on my watch. And sure enough, she made sure he had the right nutrition, the right food, and he only lost 30 pounds uh, during that journey. But somewhere in her mind, she linked up, if I stop eating, he will die. Wow. And so she's dieting uh, and exercising, but our beliefs are so strong that it's saying, uh-uh, no way am I going to let you go beyond this point. And so anytime she went to do it earnestly, that belief brings up fear because the fear is my husband's going to die. She's not aware of that. She just knows that I cave in all the time. And so the same thing happens to us. There's things, Jeff, that you are really, really excellent at that, in fact, people might ask you, Jeff, how do you do that? And you might answer, <clears throat> I don't know. I just do, or you may have an answer for it, but there's other areas where you know what to do, but you're just not doing it. And we use strategies like, uh, oh, I'll do it tomorrow, or I need to organize my desk now. When that's organized, I'll be ready to pick up the phone or whatever that thing is. So fear comes up and sometimes it's very sneaky and it uses distraction and other techniques to get us to not do the thing that we must do. Hmm. So, so is it possible to access that stuff and, and take care of it without working with a professional or do you have to go to some kind yes. of professional? 
there is a uh, one surefire way of doing it that works probably 30% of the time <clears throat> is a near death experience. Well, you've probably got friends that have gotten ill. And when they come out of that illness, oftentimes they have a new conviction in life, a new lease on life, and they focus on what's most important to them and not what they thought was important. Uh, have you had that experience with friends? Or uh, you've heard of it, right? Not that I can think of off the top of my head, but I understand yeah. what you're talking about. Yeah, it happens to a lot of people. Sometimes what happens is we almost get in, uh, in a car accident and somehow miraculously we don't. And all of a sudden it becomes a wake up call. It's like, oh my God, why am I fretting about what my brother-in-law does? You know, what an idiot. Uh, I am, not him. And we kind of move on. So sometimes it just takes one of those life jarring moments and it changes. Or sometimes you've heard of smokers waking up one morning They've tried to quit 312 times. And this one particular morning they wake up and they go, done. And it's like over. So sometimes we manage to do it accidentally, but oftentimes we need to go to a professional to get it done. And we can use willpower, but it takes a long time to change that behavior. Because on one side you've got, this is what I want and I'm gonna use my personal power to guide myself there. But the magnetic pull is so strong that the fear is ex exerting on it, that it's so much easier to just give into the fear and not do it. Hmm. Got it. Okay. Uh, apparently, I have some work to do. It's, it's not that Me I too. don't know what to do. <laughs> it's simply that I'm just not doing it. And, and again, in my life, I'm, I'm very disciplined about a lot of stuff. And I've lost weight before. I know exactly what to do. And you're absolutely right. It's like, I'll start after Labor Day. I'll start after, you know, there's always that, that when this happens, I'll do yes. that. Uh, there's clearly something psychological going on because I am a hundred percent aware I'm not eating just for food for to to fill my body with uh, with nutrition. It's it, there's something else. Anyways, let's talk about stuff that salespeople can use rather than solve all my problems. Today. Yeah, um, you do a lot of work with realtors, right? A lot of work with realtors and salespeople in general because uh, uh, we as salespeople can monetize breakthroughs really really quickly. Uh, we get the emotional benefit, but we also can make some money while we're doing it. And uh, I, so, yeah, so where in your experience have you seen most salespeople struggle, do you think? Well, the, the thing I find that salespeople struggle with the most uh, with my both coaching clients and my corporate training clients is it's almost always they're just not getting enough appointments with decision makers. They're not prospecting well enough, often enough, consistently enough or effectively enough. And, and that's usually the number one problem. I, I as, as good as I may be at coaching, and I think I'm pretty damn good at it, or training, uh, I can't help you close business unless you're speaking to enough people. As good as I am at selling, I can't close enough business unless I'm speaking to enough prospects. So that's the problem I see most often. So there's like uh, uh, two parts of that, right? There is the skill set of prospecting. And you can have a really ineffective uh, process, or you can have a highly effective process. Uh, then the second part is, so if you thought of skills times mindset equals the results we get. So you could have poor phone skills, uh, poor mindset, you're gonna get dreadful uh, results. You could have really good skills, but you got a weak mindset, so you're not actually applying it in the way that you should or actually doing it at all. Then your results are better, but not much better. So that mindset piece is the critical piece. And the question is, how do we build up a stronger mindset? One way certainly is to do it enough that you just uh, inoculate yourself from the trauma 
of it and you just just go do it but hold that thought just for a second i'm going to take a tangent i'm going to come back i was working with someone with uh, you know phone issues and what i ended up doing was just taking my iphone because we can't record the call of the customer and i just put it on the table as he's talking to his customer and we record that and i say great do me a favor who's your best buddy oh it's john call john up right now and invite him to the movies uh, this weekend and i record that and then he has a conversation and said, okay, now listen to your voice when you're talking to a customer. And it was tight because he's holding his vocal cords tight. And it, there was a certain tonality to it. And then when he heard himself talk to his buddy, it's like a warm, uh, slower pace of actually having that conversation. And for him, it was like, oh my God, I had no idea. This is what I sounded like on a cold call. So that allowed him to consciously be warmer on the calls. And that really helped him a lot. So sometimes just doing that is enough for someone to go, I get it. Because telling someone, you know, you sound warmer when you talk to a friend and you sound like this when you sound like, it's like, okay, it becomes a intellectual thought. But when they get to hear it, then it's like, holy crap, I can't believe I'm doing that. I had the illusion that I was, hi, Jeff, how are you? This is Umar from No Limit Selling. Uh, but on the mindset piece, I had this guy... Brian Harner, and he was a financial advisor. And the only reason he got into the business was one of the giants in the industry. He lives on a boat. I mean, this is how well off he is. Took him in under his wing and said, you know, do you want to come work with me? He said, yes. And he thought this, this guru was going to teach him everything that he knew. And what he taught him was, here's the phone, here's the list, get to work. And he was starving to death. He said, Umar, I should have quit three months ago. And so what we ended up noticing was this when he looks at the phone that's the trigger that the first thing he does is that he envisions a ceo that's really busy being interrupted by his stupid call and as soon as he envisions that picture he has internal dialogue that uh, he doesn't want to talk to me and i'm not good at this anyway and then the third thing he did which was totally brilliant was to bring up anxiety because just seeing that angry CEO and that toxic conversation he was having, it brings up negative feelings. Then he looped it and that created worse pictures, worse inner dialogue, worse feelings. And after about eight seconds, he wanted to throw up and he wouldn't pick up the phone. But if he was at home and he picked up the phone to call one of his buddies, perfectly fine experience. So I said, okay, the trigger is the phone in a work context. So this is what I ended up doing because we have such amazing resources within us that we neglect. So this is one of the resources I brought out for him. I said, Brian, can you tell me a time when you were insanely curious about something? He thinks about it. He says, yeah, when I was uh, seven or eight, my brother and I figured out where mom hid the Christmas presents. And I was smelling it and shaking. I dare not open it up to peek because she would know. But I had to know what was inside. So we capture that feeling of intense curiosity and grab that as a resource. Then I said, tell me about a time you were decisive. He said, yeah, when I decided to, uh, uh, to ask this girl to go out with me in high school, I was like, that's it. I'm doing it. I just made the decision that day. I'm going to go do it. So we got that decisiveness as an emotion. Then the last one was, have you ever had a burning desire to do something like nothing in the world would stop you? He said, yeah, buy a new car when I graduated university. I had no business buying a new car, but that was a symbol that I had arrived in adulthood. So what we ended up doing was using the trigger of looking at the phone in a work context 
And then I had him release that feeling of deep curiosity for a millisecond and then decisiveness, then burning desire. And we linked it up and installed it inside his brain. And he comes back the next week and he says, Umar, I'm not sure what the frick you did, man. But each time I look at a phone, I want to pick it up. And then about three years later, four years later, I'm on LinkedIn and his name comes up on a post. And I go, huh. So I go say, hey, Brian, how's it going? He said, Umar, oh my God. The year that you came in, it was half over. I joined uh, the round table, which is like you're the top 10% of producers. And I've been there ever since. And so I didn't teach him a thing about cold calling, but just how to rewire his brain. So he wants to pick up the phone. So that I think is missing in our industry as salespeople. We have great sales training companies that teach you the skills of selling. Technology today is breathtaking on what it can do. And it's just that one little piece called being a human is, is the, what, what I want to do. This is my life's mission is to teach people how to take charge of this. So they show up in life more powerfully. And when you show up more powerfully, when I show up more powerfully is good for us. But what I'm really looking for is all the people that you know, Jeff, that when they see you succeed in that way, it gives them permission to go down that same path of maybe I can give up my fear. So I think we're lighthouses that light the way for other people. And even if that isn't true, isn't that a worthy pursuit to be on? It is. And, you know, as you were speaking, uh, you know, as you started telling that story, I was like, oh, this guy's got a story in his head that nobody wants to talk to me. I'm interrupting people. Uh, yeah. Who am I to call on a CEO? We have that internal language that from wherever it came from, that's running us and that's preventing it. That's the fear you're talking about, right? It's that, Absolutely. It's that's the fear. fear of rejection. And I'm not good enough or something like that. Not good enough, not lovable, don't deserve. And all that stuff happens there. And that negative voice is prevalent to everybody. And even when you look at like people at the top of their field. So let's take Hollywood actors. And sometimes you'll hear this interview of somebody that has amassed, you know, a billion dollars in sales on all their movies, has more money than they'll possibly do, a ton of awards. And they'll go in an interview and say, you know, each time I finish a film, I just know that I'll never be hired again, that people are going to figure out I'm a fraud, which the evidence, of course, is not true, but their inner image of themselves is so powerful. So yeah, we all have it. And mere mortals like you and me, of course we do as well. And we're going to act based on what that inner dialogue is. Not necessarily the truth, but what we what we think it is. Yeah, and so well, here's the interesting part is the inner dialogue is a symptom. So as human beings, we have anywhere, there's no real number on it, but best guesstimate is anywhere from 50,000 to 100,000 beliefs that define who we are as human beings. And most of those beliefs are freaking awesome. Like one of the things I was admiring about you, Jeff, is I'm jealous uh, of your studio. You're well lit, the sound is good, the background's amazing. And so you have amazing beliefs that have gotten you this life that you have that has probably amazing blessings in it. But a few of those beliefs that you've picked up along the way hold you back. And so those beliefs are self-fulfilling prophecies. So if I had this belief that I am incredibly attractive to women, if I truly believe that, I would walk out of here with a swagger that I'd have and a level of confidence, because confidence is the ultimate aphrodisiac that uh, 
women would start approaching me and it would just be a self-fulfilling prophecy. But if I had one that, you know, uh, women don't like me, then I would make that true as well. And if a woman that actually came up to me that was attracted to me, I'd be going like, what a psycho. Can't you see I'm a broken person? I wouldn't want to go anywhere near that person. So in sales, if we believe that we are not worthy or we have beliefs around money, that how much money uh, am I worth? And it could be, you may have clients that, you know, can't get beyond $150,000 a year. No matter what they do, it's because their internal compass is set, the thermostat is set at 150. Anything beyond that, they'll start missing meetings or start uh, doing bad presentations till they get knocked down. And if for whatever reason the economy goes south, they'll fight like tigers to get back up there. If they need to change jobs, need to work longer hours. So our beliefs define us. And I think a lot of what we end up doing is we end up looking at symptoms and trying to solve those. And that is really good because when we can get rid of that symptom, hallelujah, praise the Lord. But what happens is there's a belief that we have and that creates that symptom and sometimes other symptoms as well. Even if we take this one away, it says, ha, 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 I'll create another one for you. Think of Dick Dastardly in that voice. <laughs> yeah, I, I love that uh, that concept of the thermostat. I've heard Tony Robbins talk about that. Mm. And James Arthur Ray, the same thing, you know, that we'll, we'll get to that point where we feel we deserve it and then we'll sabotage ourselves. So whether it's 150,000 or whatever the number is, we, we won't allow ourselves to exceed that amount and we'll actually self sabotage ourselves so that we are we stay at that point where we think we're comfortable uh i, I know f I, I know i struggled with that for a while and it took me a while to realize that my father my stepfather and both grandfathers were never very successful in sales and for a while i would get up to a point it was like uh i think on an unconscious basis i'm thinking well i don't want to make my parents my, my father or my stepfather or my grandparents look bad and, yep and, and i've heard that break through and say that's ridiculous they would want me to do this they would be proud of me and, and be applauding for me. And that really made a difference for me in terms of my personal income. It, it, are, are you talking about the sales warrior mindset here? Yeah, the sales warrior mindset is all about how can we show up more powerfully? So I've got a, a workshop around that. And that very much is what if we could decide how we wanted to feel? We're going into a meeting and we just had a fight with our 14-year-old daughter who wants to get a tattoo or whatever, and he throws us off our games. And then we go, okay, I'm gonna pretend like everything's okay. But what if you could feel okay and feel powerful? That That's the power we have is to switch on any emotion we want at any time. That's what we teach people. We teach people how to let go of the fear. You've got this fear, how do you remove it? And how do you access inner strength? Because Sometimes we just feel powerful and the client could be taking the deal south. And when we feel really self-possessed, we can just listen to the person, ask the right questions and guide it back where we want. When we panic and then sometimes we get more aggressive, uh, that just breaks us further apart from the client. So just learning those skills, how to take charge of this, how to feel powerful, how to let go of the fear, how to be freaking spectacular. Wouldn't that yep. be amazing if we could get all salespeople to do that? Absolutely. By the way, I don't think you have to have a bunch of confidence since you're in Vegas to go outside and have women approach you. I think there's plenty who would. They might <laughs> want something other than they, they want some money, but uh, they'll be approaching you anyways. And, and what you just said rings so true for me because one of the things that I personally do and I teach salespeople to do is 
part of pre-meeting planning is visualizing the meeting actually happening. And, and I've had people giggle at this, but I close my eyes before every sales call and I see the meeting happening. I see myself walking into somebody's office and shaking their hand or, or doing it over Zoom and uh, th them happy to see me. I see me sitting down and us having a great conversation with both of us laughing. I, I like to laugh a lot. So both of us are laughing and having a great time. And I kid you not, I visualize at the end of the meeting them opening a desk drawer, pulling out stacks of hundreds dollar bills and pushing them across the table towards me i'm visualizing my own success does every meeting go like that of course not but i am pretty successful in sales and i don't think it's just because i know how to say this thing or that thing at the right time i think that's part of it uh you say mindset is everything don't skills count at all they count a lot so here is uh here's my thoughts on that so I love to play squash and I'm dreadful at it, but I love it anyway. It's super addictive. Don't do it. You'll have to go to Squash Anonymous. And so I was talking to this one guy who was talking about this guy who's the guy that knows a lot and he coaches people because he wants to help. And uh, this guy was talking about, they call him coach. And he says, you know, I was, uh, coach was coaching me on this one thing, which is like so, bleh. it was like, you know, why are you wasting my time with this? And then when he got to a certain level of uh, skill in playing, all of a sudden he realized what coach was trying to teach him. And then he started using it and it took his game to a much higher level. So what happens is we learn skills. And if you have a weaker mindset, oftentimes we don't apply it or don't apply it as we should. But as your mindset gets stronger, all of a sudden those skills that you learned in the past, you go, oh my God. I was applying it incorrectly. So the skills you have, you improve and use them in a different way. And the one thing, people that have a strong mindset, we call them leaders. The one trait that they all have is they're always learning. And one of the reasons they learn is they realize that there's, it's like headlights. I'm not sure who shared this metaphor with me. In, on a dark night, uh, you can only see as far as the headlights. There's more road to go. And so leaders are always trying to get a stronger mindset. So they uh, uh, learn more skills and get better at what they do. And learning more skills gives them a stronger mindset. So it becomes this amazing cycle of awesomeness as they go. So yeah, uh, skill set is important, critical. Mindset makes it better. Gotcha. Let's see. Someone, a Facebook user saying, Umar, you are on point. Thank you, sir. David Margulies says, hey, David, uh, imposter syndrome. And my dear friend, Ellen Volpe says, these thoughts and feelings, are, are these deep within our DNA? Uh, by those thoughts, uh, the, the negative or the positive, they both are. I think that it's our childhood experiences uh, have such a profound effect on who we are yeah. that uh, from age uh, zero to seven, uh, basically anybody in authority says something uh, we we just take it into our unconscious. Basically, how we get beliefs is this, is that when an event happens, so let's say you go to a coffee shop and the barista hands you the coffee. This is not a notable uh, event for you, Jeff. You're probably going to forget the bar barista immediately and just go on with your life. But let's say you went in and the person just smiled at you this way and just did a compliment about your wardrobe that was heartfelt, that you went, oh my God, this... So that's just a beautiful moment. When we have an event with high emotions, our mind is a meaning-making machine. We make meaning out of that. And so let's say that it was a negative event where dad's screaming at us for something. 
I just had a client a few minutes ago. It was, uh, it was an event that happened when she was 12, where dad was screaming and she felt she had more power, but she couldn't bring it up. And so she's had a lifetime of holding her power down when it comes in the presence of strong men. And so we just worked on that belief that got created. That one event has had her have a 30 year life of holding her power within her. When she's with someone that's not powerful, she doesn't overpower them, but she shares what she wants to share. So yeah, those childhood experiences literally have a, a way of accelerating our growth because those positive beliefs are amazing and exceptional. Even if it was a lie and your mama said, Jeff, you're so amazing. You can do anything you want. If there was enough emotions and you believed it. You could do anything you wanted. It'd be beliefs are lies. That's the truth. And if somebody said you're worthless, you wouldn't believe how many times I've heard from people that the elementary school teacher told them in class, in front of the classmates, you'll never amount to anything. Like what kind of monster would do that? You as well, right? And if there was Absolutely, snickering in class, Omar, yeah. I can't tell you how many teachers told me because I was the class clown, never going to amount to anything. You're never going to live up to your potential. And now I do stand up comedy. Bravo, which is amazing. And we need to talk about, you know, some really people that could be really, really funny that, but they can't get up on stage. Absolutely. And I, by the way, I also know a bunch of people who are on stage who are not funny at all, but they have the chutzpah or, or cojones, whatever you want to call it, mm. to take that risk. But, but yes, it, I, I could not agree more. It's mostly that stuff that we heard when we were under eight years old that becomes our programming and we're like robots living that out for the rest of our lives unless we find a way to deal with it. Yeah, and the Catholic Church kind of puts it really succinctly. It's like before the age of seven, anything that you do wrong is not counted against your mortal soul. But from seven on, it's a stain on your soul for the rest of your life. Uh, so yeah, it's something we've known for a long time. And the question is, how can we raise our kids in a way that we don't screw them up? And the answer is you can't. Just do the best you can, because you could even get, so sometimes I tell people to kind of get them to chill out a bit, is you could have twins and mom says this thing, all right, clean up your things and go to bed. And one twin goes, mom loves me. And the other twin goes, she doesn't want me to have any fun in life. So. Do the best you can but we were talking sales and here's my here's what the sales warrior mindset teaches people is that when you have the level of confidence you want you have the power the passion and the resilience that's what we teach people how to use their mindset to get those three that trifecta that allows you to go after bigger game because people talk about you know i want to close exxon as my account and but if they ever get that uh, fish on the hook if they don't have the right mindset and the right beliefs they're going to go screw that meeting up so one, you go after bigger game. Number two, no matter what the person on the other side does, that you can handle it. Number three, if you lose a deal, it doesn't define who you are. You instantly kind of go, all right, what do I need to learn from this? Let's go and move forward. Whereas somebody that doesn't have a strong mindset is like, oh my God. And they can be bummed out for an afternoon, a week, a month, or out for the year because of that one major defeat. So if we teach people how to have those three things, take charge of their mindset, become fearless, it changes our industry. And I think that's what we need to do is to get people to have that be part of their sales training, to have that mindset training. It would make the job of the sales manager so much easier, and it would allow them to actually outpace and outthink the competition.
Yeah. With my coaching clients, I work on both mindset and skills. Mm. So I want to come back to something you said a few moments ago. Um, you talked about the barista handing your coffee and giving you a compliment yeah. about how great you look. And uh, you you are an NLP practitioner. Yes. Uh, I have the barest knowledge of it, but I, I, I remember hearing the concept again from Tony Robbins, who I'm a big fan of, the concept of anchoring. And yes. How would you suggest, uh, or do you suggest, and if so, how, how do people anchor those good feelings? And I'll just share with you that I have a ritual that I picked up from mm -hmm. Tony. I, I know Tony does this thing, that's his anchor. When I close the deal, when somebody says yes to me, I uh, as soon as I disconnect the phone or leave their office so they can't hear me anymore, I go, yes! And I anchor I that. that good feeling. Yes. And I, I, I find that I'm able to, you know, if I'm a little bit down, I can just go back and go, yes! And the anchor brings back the good feeling. Am I on target here? Absolutely. Why don't we do? Why don't we take you through the steps? The more NLP way you're doing it correctly now. This is just enhance it a bit. So, Jeff, uh, tell me about a particular time where you were on stage and you just felt in total command of this audience, where you were just at the height of your powers. Do you have one of those memories? Uh, are you talking about stand up? Yeah. Sure. Uh, in May, my daughter graduated college. And she has some friends who visited here. I, I live in a, beach, in a beach house a block from the Atlantic Ocean. Mm. She, they had come from Virginia. She went to the University of Virginia. And these two guys had come with her a few times. We went to the beach. And they kept coming to uh, New York, where I live, without her. And every time she'd say, hey, the guys are coming. Are you appearing anywhere? And it just never worked out that I was doing any comedy gigs. So they invited me to come do stand-up comedy at their graduation at a party. Oh, love it. And it was incredible. Uh, and, and uh, they had a band playing it. When the band took a break, they introduced, okay, now here's New York comedian, Jeff Goldberg. And there were about 10 people in the room when they were announcing me and like 80 people ran in from outside because they'd been waiting to hear Avery's father. Mm. And it was maybe the best set I ever had. I, I, every face was smiling, every joke went over. It all worked great. And of course I was in front of my three kids, which was a great deal. You of and it was phenomenal. Okay, so step one on anchoring is decide which feeling you want. Step two, recall the time you had it. Uh, so step three, what I want you to do, Jeff, is to take a deep breath in, let it out slowly, and with your eyes closed, go back to that moment at the height of the feeling. Might have been when you were finishing the set or in the middle of the set, you got the thing. So see sure. what you saw back then. See those smiling faces and people are laughing. And then I want you to hear what's going on, their laughter, your inner dialogue, what you're saying. When you do those two things, you get to re-experience that feeling. Where in your body do you feel it? Right here on my chest. Okay, so hold your hand there where you're feeling on the chest. With your other hand, imagine you have a volume knob right in front of you. And I want you to crank that feeling up so it gets stronger and stronger, so it fills your entire chest up. Crank it up even more so it fills up all the way to your neck and your head. Crank it up a little bit more. And now I want you to, uh, with your hand with the volume knob, make a fist and just say yes inside. Just say funny inside your head. Don't say it out loud. And then I want you to crank up the feeling so it gets stronger and stronger. It goes to your shoulders and your arms. So unrelease the fist and crank up so it goes down your torso all the way down to your legs and your feet. Crank it up even more and then make that fist and say funny inside your head. And one last time, crank up the feeling so it fills up the entire room. Crank it up more and more and more. It's insanely. And then do one more time. Make that fist and say funny inside your head. And now take a deep breath and come on back to me. Feel pretty fantastic, eh? Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm ready to go do stand up right now. <laughs> I nice. don't want to wait for and, Sunday night when my next gig is. 
So I want you to, I, I, I don't like you being that happy. So Jeff, I want you to think of a time where you totally screwed up a sales call, where you had the deal and you did something dumb and it went sideways. Got one of those, changes your state immediately. Let that go, take a deep breath in, let it go. And now I want you to just uh, make that fist say funny inside your head and notice how quickly that feeling comes back. Yeah. And the reason I had you do it silently, I like your one better where you go, yes, because it's kind of really there. But sometimes you're in a meeting and you're screwing up in a meeting. And if you went in the middle of the meeting, go, yes, people are like, holy crap. But what you can do is put your hand uh, underneath the table and just do funny. And it just releases that amazing feeling. And from that powerful, in command, amused space, you can see things clearly and move. And so that is is anchoring. And it's such a powerful tool. So I'll tell you one quick story uh, uh, on how powerful this is. I had this uh, couple bring in, bring in their daughter. She was 11 and she still has a blankie. And she's not letting that go. They've tried bribery, threats, intimidation. They said, can you help? So she comes in and I go, uh, can you tell me a bit about a particular time where you felt fantastic? And she had scored the winning goal in uh, lacrosse. And all the other girls picked her up over their uh, heads. And said, that was the most amazing feeling. So I did the same exercise. And I got her to uh, basically press her thumb and pinky together to anchor that in. Then I said, okay, now think about, about a time you did bad on a test. Let go of that. So I said, do me a favor. Pick up your blankie. What does that feel like? She goes, okay, now do this. And she goes, you just let go of the blankie. Don't need it anymore. Anytime I want to feel fantastic, I can do this. And the reason I share that is we cranked up the feeling so much that it was stronger than the original event. Just think of that. And here's the thing that's going to blow your mind, Jeff. So uh, you better have a 911 on the phone ready to go. That what we just did, you cannot have that feeling unless you have the same brain chemistry you had at that comedy gig. So what we did was we changed your brain chemistry with five simple steps. That's the power we have to take charge of our mindset. And when we teach people, salespeople, how to do that, they become extraordinary. And it allows them to go out there and live up to their potential. And because most salespeople uh, don't want to win for themselves, although that's a good feeling, and I want to win an award and everything, but they do it for their team. They do it for their company. They do it for their family. And when they're not achieving the level they want because fear comes up, they pay a price. There's some part of them that knows that they're letting those people down which impacts the mindset. So each time you free yourself from the shackles of your mind, you free yourself to be the person you were always meant to be. Can I, I hear an amen? I love this. Can we talk a little bit about stress? Sales can be a very stressful gig. Yes. I, I often say that um, uh, sales is not an easy gig and that it beats digging ditches in the hot sun, which I don't know because I've never dug mm. ditches in the hot sun, but it, it is stressful. Uh, do you have any mindfulness techniques for reducing stress? Yeah, uh, two things come to mind. So one is, so whenever you feel anything, when you feel stress, that's the feeling, right? And so when you feel, can I use you as a guinea pig, Jeff? Sure. This is the only reason you're here. Uh, <laughs> so think about a particular, can you think of a time when you were stressed? Like in a sales situation or a personal situation? You're not sure, sure yeah, what absolutely. the situation is. Go back there just like we did with the anchoring. So just go back there to that moment and see what you saw and hear what you heard. And you feel that stress in your body, right? 
I'm feeling it in the same place that I was feeling it before, right, right, right in the chest. Okay, so just place your hand there just for a moment. And I want you to say this magic word to that feeling is say hello. hello. And there's a part of you causing it. And just to ask, you know, uh, why are you coming up? Like, why am I feeling this stress? What am I stressed about? Or what are you trying to get me to focus on? And when you do that right now, what answer comes up? What answer comes up for what I was feeling? Uh, yeah, I it's like, why am I feeling this? Why am I feeling stressful? What are you trying to get me to see? I was embarrassed. I was humiliated. Uh, I, I felt worthless. Yeah. Okay. So you're creating this stress because those feelings that you described are far worse than the anxiety that you're feeling. I mean, if you truly at that moment felt worthless, you would not be feeling stress. That would be uh, self-loathing and, and worse. So the stress coming up is a way of masking that and protecting you. And so the first thing to do when you feel a feeling is to just go. So let's say I was in a sales situation and I've got butterflies happening here. And I just go there and I go, hello, uh, what are you trying to get me to pay attention to? I want you to be at your best. How can I be at my best right now? Take a deep breath. And as soon as I do that, the butterflies start going away. So what we are trained to do is when a bad feeling comes, stay away from it. When the stove is hot, don't touch it. And what we need to do uh, with our feelings is to feel into them. So we have our mind, we have our body, and we have our spirit. Even if that is not true, it's a useful model for how human beings work. And so our mind uh, perceives something, it creates this stress. And when it creates the stress, if we can feel into that feeling and go, hello, why is this happening? What do you want me to pay attention to? We get insights that we can use on our mind because our mind doesn't know what to do when we're feeling it. And this little exercise of sensing into those feelings gives our mind something. Like, oh, you're trying to protect me from that. So what can I do to, what's one small thing I could do right now to not feel like a failure? Or what's the smallest thing? That's my favorite question. Feel the feeling and say, what's the smallest thing I could do right now to move in a more positive direction. And there's always something you can do that's as small as take a breath, punch yourself in the kidney, whatever it is, <laughs> do that. And, and what that does is creates momentum. It, so feeling the feeling is like a circuit breaker. Because if I go to feel the feeling, I go into observer mode a little bit. When I'm feeling the feeling, I'm in it. When I'm like, oh, the feeling's here and I go, hello. And if you notice my head kind of went like this and there's more like a curious hello. And so that's what I suggest, feel into the feeling and ask the question, what do I need to learn from this? What are you trying to help me do? What do I need to pay attention to? It'll tell you something and go do that. And if it doesn't give you a good answer, ask a follow-up question and you'll get an answer that moves you in the right direction. Yeah, and I particularly love that you've mentioned it a few times, that, that deep breath. Because uh, my experience is that when we get upset, when we get uh, uh, scared, anything like that, the first thing we do is we, we stop breathing uh, deeply and we start breathing oh, yeah. more shallow. And if we're not getting enough oxygen, we're just going to go into panic mode. Yes. And I think, thank you for uh, highlighting that because uh, taking that purposeful breath is telling our body, our mind, our spirit, I'm in control. Because the only thing that freaking counts at the end of the day is you breathing. You can go without food for two weeks. You can go without drinking for four or five days before you keel over. But uh, stop breathing for two, three minutes. 
adios, baby. And so just breathing is great. And of course, when women are giving birth, they get trained to use their breath to alleviate pain. And when the yogis do what they do, it's all about breath work. So that simple breath, circuit breaker, because as long as you can break the cycle, because what happens is we get thought, we get uh, something happening in our body, thought, oh my God, I've screwed up. I've got anxiety. Then we make pictures in our head, maybe. Then worse thoughts, worse to, then he's like, ah, I'm a ball. Jeff, I can't talk to you right now. I have to go. And so just taking that breath stops the cycle for a moment. And it, 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 you're exerting your own power over your own body. I can't, I teach, uh, I teach my clients uh, a technique called stream of consciousness brainstorming. Uh, mm. I teach it at a particular time for how do you come up with the right questions to ask on a sales call, but it can be used for it. anything. And part of that, that process is getting yourself to a calm place physically, like the beach for me, or mm. not this room because there's too many distractions, but also getting to yourself to a calm place mentally. I happen to meditate, so, uh, you know, but not everybody knows how, and I just simply teach them. Deep breath in for five seconds, hold for five seconds, full exhale for five seconds, hold for five seconds. You do that for a minute or two, you're going to be in a calmer place because you're taking control and just putting that oxygen into your body, which you don't normally get that deeply, changes your state. Yes? Absolutely, 100%. And I'm just going to add to that with two quick anecdotes. Uh, one is just uh, something I heard a long time ago. Why did God create fleas? To give dogs something to do. And when you're in that state and you do that breathing exercise it gives your whole mind something to do and it disconnects you from that panic thing so i i love that uh so my wife passed uh we were married for 27 years uh in uh 2018 and one of the things that got me through it was the the next morning she died at 10 in the evening the next morning i came up with this strategy that I want to become the man that my wife wanted me to be, which is such a tragic statement, right? Like while she was alive, I could have been that person, but I was too busy. You know, we had a great marriage, but it could have been a spectacular marriage had I done that. But as soon as she passed, I gave myself that task. So I was more generous with people, more loving, more understanding. Uh, and that's what got me through the first year of losing the love of my life was that something to do. Am I being the man she wanted me? So I wasn't beating myself up, but it was just like a, so a homeless person, rather than just give them some money, it's like, hey man, what's your name? Jeff, I'm Umar. So tell me what's going on today. And just spending that one minute human to human and then giving them the money because the money is needed, but that human contact is more important. And in the past, I would never have done that. So that breath work, giving yourself something to do is, is such a great tool for living life that it allows you to move forward. And, you know, sometimes in sales, we tell people, all right, you need to find out four important things from that person that you're selling uh, is, it could be about their family, it could be about their job, but unless you get those four things, you're not leaving that sales meeting. And sometimes that creates more rapport, more connection, more trust, but it gives them something to do. I got one, check. I got two, check. So yeah, do that. Love that. Yeah, for me, it's, I'm working on becoming the person that my kids think I am. <laughs> yes, I love that. <laughs> and that's a, that's a tall order, my friend, because, uh, you know, uh, somebody said earlier, let's see, David said imposter syndrome. Boy, oh boy, every time I, I, I think of it, it's like, oh, if, if they only knew what a clown I am. Well, they know what a clown I am, but, you know, 
you, you get what I'm saying? It's like, you know, oh, yeah, absolutely. They have that picture of who, who's dad. And, and it's like, how do I live up to that? How do I be that human being? So one of the things I'd like to share with people in, uh, is there's a reason we have 8 billion people in this world. And the reason is you is that everybody here is to teach you about you because it's so easy to to look at other people and find uh, amazing gifts and find uh, tragic flaws. Jeff, I'll tell you yours after this event. Uh, but it's hard to see ourselves. And oftentimes, just having our kids, if I could be the person they see me as, or and just using them. And so this is your homework, people that are listening. Think of someone that you admire and think about the attribute they have you admire the most. Know that you have that within you. And then think of somebody who's a complete dick that you hate beyond belief. And then go, what's the attribute they have that I dislike? And I guarantee 100% the reason you dislike them in that way is because you have that too. Once you realize, oh, I can be short with people too, then it gives you something to fix. And you can go, hey, go to Jeff. I've got this thing. Can you help me overcome <laughs> that? So people are a blessing. Use them in the way that we're intended to be uh, teachers to see ourselves. So the fact that I dislike cocky, arrogant people says something about me, huh? <laughs> That's it. Yes. <laughs> you say that our, our friends in the psychiatric community are crazy and take far too long to create change. Can you speak to that a little bit? So I wouldn't say crazy. I think they've got different methodologies. And sometimes, uh, sometimes it's like uh, things get labeled bad. You know, this behavior is bad. And which could be like a very, uh, uh, let's say you're abusing someone uh, verbally. Is that bad? Yes. What's the internal positive intention of that? Could be that uh, I was uh, working with someone where their dad was like really, really mean and nasty. Uh, but their intent was that I want my daughter to be successful. So it's like, okay, they got this this mechanism inside that's really powerful, that's doing this negative thing, what if we could repurpose it, that we don't just dismantle it and throw it away, but what if we could repurpose it, and instead of doing that negative behavior, that starts doing a positive behavior. So uh, uh, that would be a game changer and allows things to stick. So a good example would be this. Let's say I have a belief that uh, uh, I'm not good enough. And it, it, it was installed in childhood, and I've repeated it so many times that it's a belief. And I've got 50 years of this positive intent with this belief that I'm not good enough. Now, if I've got a new belief that says, you know, I am, I add value to this world. And I say, I want this belief, I don't want that belief. Well, this one's got 30 years of intent, and it's going to go. <laughs> you think this stupid belief you came up with is going to last? It's not. It's built in ether. But what if the positive intention of this was keeping Umar safe, the same as this negative thing? Instantly, our mind would drop the old belief, take on the new belief. But instead of being in ether, it's got 50 years of intent. And that's how change happens like that. That's how we get salespeople that are doubting themselves when we go and then we change a belief. So I'll give you a good example of that. I was working with this salesperson who was an ex-drug addict. So one part of his mind is, Umar, I am going to be successful at this and I'm going to be powerful at this and I deserve this. I'm going to make it happen. Then he starts telling me with a weaker voice 
and weaker gestures. But you know, I'm not really sure I have the skills to do this, but I'm going to make it happen, Umar. As soon as I see that, I know there's a inner conflict. So we start examining that. And what comes up is, since he was a drug dealer, uh, not a drug dealer, a drug user, an addict, that he does not deserve to have success. So we went in and looked at that belief, changed that belief, used that technique where we got a better belief with the same intent. And uh, in a testimonial, I said, Umar, when we met, I was ready to quit because in sales, you eat what you kill. 100% commission. He happened to be a realtor. And at the end of the month, he had nine transactions on the book. Didn't teach him a thing about selling, but we got rid of that internal conflict. And that's the one message I'd like your listeners to have is that change doesn't take a long time to happen. It doesn't have to be hard, difficult with the right techniques. Change can happen now. And that's what the sales warrior mindset does is teach you those tools, how to make the change happen now so you can build the life that you want, not just for yourself, but for the people that love you the companies you work for, and the communities that you live in. I love that. And that's one of the things I love most about sales, that you can be broke today and wealthy tomorrow because it only takes that incident. And I've been there before. I've mm -hmm. been, you know, verge of bankruptcy, verge of getting evicted, car, car being repossessed. And the next day, you get a huge sale and everything's suddenly fine. And uh, it, it is that mindset shift that gets you there. I want to ask you about something else. We've, we're starting to run out of time here. Uh, in 1996, you were invited to the White House to give a technology briefing. I believe that would have been President Bill Clinton, right? Yep. Didn't see him, but saw his henchmen. Uh, what was that like? And what did you tell them? So it was, uh, their message was, you know, email was new. And uh, so the messaging was uh, getting diluted. And the idea was that everybody in university, and they're like very passionate, motivated people, that you could send an email out to everybody with the message you want, what we're focusing on this week, that you could get one voice being telegraphed. And that was like a, a weird concept back then. So it was all about, you know, how do you get your messaging out? Got it. Brilliant. I was a big Bill Clinton fan. Well, here's what I can tell you. When Bill Clinton was president, my money was worth a lot more money. <laughs> yes, that'd be true. And here's a question for you, Jeff. Uh, this is sure. kind of a mindset thing. So there was a scandal and an impeachment kind of thing. And he, did you have sex with that woman? Uh, you know, what do you think would have happened if he said, you know, it's a stressful job. And yes, I had a moment of weakness. I'm really sorry. Right off the gate. Because most scandals is deny, 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 and then the truth comes out, and it costs the reputation so much. Do you think it would ever be feasible, whoever that person is, to just say, you know, yes, it's true. I'm really sorry I did that. Won't happen again. Uh, good advice, bad advice. Any thoughts on that? Because it's got to be uh, scary as hell. My, my personal belief, I think that's great advice. Uh, I think with today's politics and the politics back when Bill was president, that I don't know that that would have made a huge difference with the opposing party. But uh, I can only tell you me personally, after my children and my dog, the most important thing in my life is my integrity. Mm -hmm. And when somebody takes responsibility, apologizes and says it won't happen again. And by the I've done that more than once. To me, that gives gives me I, I'm going to respect you for doing that as opposed to no, no, no. And then I found out you actually did it. Uh, I, I have, uh, 
I'm not going to say this has happened often, but on more than one occasion in my training career, I've said something in front of a corporate audience that was less than appropriate. I, I often I use humor because I'll do full day seminars, uh, you know, and it, as fascinating as I think I am, uh, I understand it can be a little boring at times to sit in a room with me for seven hours or eight hours droning on. And so I use humor to keep people awake and involved. And more than once in my career, I've said something that was either taken the wrong way or that I just shouldn't have said. And, you know, later on, I get the beckoning finger from human resources. Hey, Jeff, did you say this in front of our team today? And uh, my answer is, yes, I did. I apologize. As it came out of my mouth, I knew I shouldn't. It'll never happen again. And typically that results in no problem. And I think, uh, thank you for sharing that. It's very much, I think intent is such an important element of being human in sales as well. And when you get a strong mindset, uh, you have the right intent because when you have a weaker mindset, that's when we want to manipulate or overcompensate for who we are. But when we feel strong and powerful and it comfortable in our skins, we can show up as who we are. And the intent is so important. So when you did that apology, and if your intent was, I am really sorry that happened, people can sense that. And if your intent is right, people say, not a problem, Jeff, uh, be more careful in the future when we move forward. And we've all heard apologies that you kind of go, that dude does not mean it at all. And so, yeah, thank you for sharing that. Because I think at the end of the day, we were talking about sales. Sales is a vocation and at the heart of it is where we are human beings. So whether you're a doctor, a teacher, a student, uh, whatever, if you feel confident in who you are, your intent is to do good and your intent is to be of value to people around you. Uh, that's I, what I think life is about. I think you're right, my friend. And uh, we're running out of time. Ellen said she had a run, but uh, Umar is great. I happen to Thank agree. Thank you so much. Um, Umar, we are out of time. Um, how can people reach you? I don't have anything uh, that I can share on screen, but how can people get in touch with you if they're interested in speaking with you, having you speak at an event, working with you? How can they reach you? Probably the best thing is to go to LinkedIn and my name is Umar, U-M-A-R, and then Hamid, H-A-M-E-E-D. And uh, please connect on LinkedIn and uh, share your stories because you know that's uh, how we all get better is sharing our wins, losses, and funny stories. Got it. For those of you who are watching, I uh, just put Umar's full name in the comments. Uh, he's fantastic, as you obviously can see. Umar, thank you so much for sharing your brilliance with us generously. Have a great time in Vegas. Somebody said earlier in the comments, good thing that what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Stays in Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. And thank I'll end as I always do, guys. Please remember that sales is a game of making things happen. So get out there and make sales happen. Have a great weekend, everybody. Thanks again, Umar.